you that you are a God of love and how you have so shown your love when you nailed your son to the cross for the punishment of our sin. Father, we just thank you for all of those things. We thank you for the grace that we certainly don't deserve. We thank you for the gift of life that just that you've given unto us and not just uh, our, our physical life, but also the spiritual rebirth that Scripture talks about, those who have, have come to know you in a personal way. We just thank you, Lord, that you're on the throne and that you, that you love us and that yet in return that we can give our worship and adoration back to you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Today we're going to be in Genesis 37. We're jumping right in where we left off last week. And starting in verse 12. And while you flip, I'll talk. Several years ago, whenever I was in high school, I, I was off and I, I had decided that although I shouldn't have and the timing wasn't right and all of these things and I was tired, but I had decided that I was going to go visit someone and they were about an hour and a half or two hours away from where I lived. And I remember vividly that I was so excited to be able to go see the person and to be able to share the time with the person, but yet on the way back... From that time together, something went drastically wrong. It was, it was very late at night, and I hadn't got much sleep the night before, and I would prove not to get that much sleep that night as well. But I remember that as I'm, I'm driving home, and, and I was doing one of those things, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of us have probably been close to this point, but I remember driving down the road, and it's like all of a sudden I was like, I was bobbing my head, and I was starting to fall asleep at the wheel, right? Who's been there? Raise your hand. We've been there. And I remember that I was kind of doing touch and goes and I was like, I was fighting it, you know, and I'm smacking myself and I'm, I've got the hands on the wheel and I'm thinking I'm going to tough it out and I can do this. So then I play the game where I turn the radio up and I have to tell you what, with a bad radio, I don't care how loud you turn it up, it just makes it sound worse and not more pleasing, right? So I remember I was like, that ain't going to work and I turned the radio down and then all of a sudden I'm like, you know what, I'm going to roll the windows down, right? Because that's always the answer. I roll the windows down, then I get air whipping through the cabin in this truck and I'm driving all along and nothing's working, but yet... In my pride, I kept driving. In my pride, I kept going, thinking, I can just tough it out. It's okay. I'm going to make it. It's all right. And I remember driving down the road, and, and it's the time of night, thankfully, where there wasn't a lot of cars. But I remember vividly that as I'm, as I'm driving along, that all of a sudden, like things just had like the slow fade of my eyes. Just the slow fade. And it was so much so, it was so slow, that it just seemed natural. That all I, and, and at that moment, that I, I obviously fell asleep at the wheel. But I didn't know I fell asleep at the wheel until I had already crossed over the other lane and I was going into a ditch about to be thrown up in the air on the other side of the ditch. And then if that didn't wake me up, it would be all the corn that I was going through after that of just hearing, it was the Midwest, just going crazy in this truck. And I remember at that moment, man, I had never been so awake in my whole life. But I remember in that moment, all I wanted to do was get back on the road to try and maybe, maybe in my own effort, just to get as far past that ditch as possible. But in my pride, my pride got me into the ditch, and I thought for a second that my pride was going to get me 
out of the ditch. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way because something should have, obviously a lot of things should have triggered what was going to happen. But as I remember, and I'm, I'm going through this cornfield just praying that, that it's hard enough to where the truck isn't going to get stuck and then I've really got some explaining to do as, as uh, Desi would say to Lucy. But I remember that I'm going through this field and I'm just here, the, the corn just beating up the front of this truck. And I look up and all of a sudden there's a furniture road. And I remember I, I see a furniture road and if those of you don't know what a furniture road is, it's like off the main road, a furniture road is like a little connector to the road, right? Trek with me so far? So remember I'm looking up and I, I'm done here in the corn. I look up and there's just glimmer of hope in a furniture road because I'm going to get back on the road. Where, and I was going to just try and keep going in the same direction. So I get on the furniture road, and I make a left turn, and I'm driving down the road. I don't even stop. I don't stop to see if there's any damage to the truck, which was not my truck. I did not even. So yeah, everybody's eyes just went up. They're like, wow, glad it wasn't my truck. So I remember I, I drove all the way back, and I finished that truck. It was about an hour, hour and 15 minutes back to where I had gotten the truck from. But you know, some very interesting things need to happen in that situation. It wasn't something that, that, you know, I could have avoided. I could have avoided it very easily. My pride got me in the ditch. One thing I learned from that is that my pride was not going to get me out of the ditch. And whatever, listen to me, whatever brought me into the ditch should be avoided next time. That's where we pick up our story with Joseph. Some interesting things are happening here. We'll just read from verse 12, and we're going to read right up to uh, the middle of verse 17. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, this is Joseph, he replies, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? And the man says, he says, they've moved on from here. I heard them say they're going to Dothan. So Joseph, in, in our text thus far, he is he's sent out by his father to go find his brothers and kind of, it, it doesn't really explain why. Maybe it was his dad was trying to preserve him because he knew the animosity with his brothers, probably. Because if you remember from last week, there were some very uh, interesting things happened in Joseph's life. And Joseph had these dreams that were, they were God-given dreams. We know that. It's consistent with Scripture. And we've kind of, we have the benefit of Scripture now. So many of us have actually read to see how this whole story lays out. But one thing that is, is really the, the point of last week is he, would, he basically told the people, he told his brothers and his mom and dad at the wrong time and he told the wrong people at the, for the wrong reasons about this vision that God had given him. He should have waited. And he maybe shouldn't have been so boisterous in telling them and so prideful in declaring the truth in front of them that he would be the one who would rule over them. So now... Joseph's father, he says, uh, I want you to go find your brothers. 
And Joseph, he tracks on, and he has an idea where they are, and he's going to Dothan. Now, we'll continue to read, middle of verse 17. So Joseph went ahead of his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of these dreams, fueled with jealousy. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Reuben is one of his brothers. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but do not lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take them back to his father. We'll stop right there. Things that I think that have to be gleaned from specifically the last section of Scripture that we read is the thing that is fueling the brothers, the animosity that is just being fueled in these brothers is the jealousy they have of what, what Jacob caused with Joseph and with the favoring of him. And then Joseph, he perpetuated, he made the problem worse when it went through. And he says, not only am I the favor one for my father, but also I'm having these dreams. He says, aren't you so glad to hear these dreams? But they weren't glad to hear those dreams. So then the brothers say, they conjure up a plan as they see him. And even before he comes to them, they see him off in a distance. They said, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's do away with him. Let's see what happens to those dreams now. Then they offer to throw him into a cistern. Now, mind you, God is with him. We see this, and I've shared this the last couple of weeks. I'll share it again. Acts 7, 9 says that God was with him. God was with Joseph. Now, Joseph gets thrown into the cistern, which was basically a well in their day, and it would be in the desert, that a cistern would be something that... I, I haven't really seen an accurate picture, and I don't have one um, to share with you, but just try and visualize this if you could... Uh, a cistern back in those days would be large in the ground, but the top would actually be very narrow because there was no good way of keeping all the particles and sand and everything from coming into the water. Then that would be their a drinking source for them. So in this case, the cistern or the well was dry. The wells in and of themselves, there was a big problem with keeping water in them because they were made of limestone, which is a very porous rock. So then they actually later developed an idea of actually putting like a plaster inside of them which would hold water. The reason why I share that is, is because we directly see the hand of God with the boys, his brothers, going, seeing Joseph, and yet the hand of God directs them, directs Reuben to say, well, let's just put him in this pit. Let's put him in this pit right here in the desert because it was dry. If there were water in the pit, he would have likely died. But yet, we know that God was with him, that God was redeeming him. God was bringing him through this situation, that God was watching him to help redeem him, and then later his brothers, as we'll see in the future. So, Joseph, if you could visualize this, they, they decide that they want to throw him into this dry well, small opening at the top, wide at the bottom. He's in a lonely, dark, hostile place. And in his eyes, it's anguish because he's been stripped of everything that he knows. And we'll see that he's stripped of some other things as well. In life, I think that as we can draw from this as well, as I think maybe Joseph had to have those things removed from his life because if he would have still had 
if he would have had that favored position and he would have been flaunting those dreams in front of his family, that I think that God would not have been able to use him as much because the very thing that got him into, into the well was what? His pride. The very thing that got him into the well was not going to be the thing that got him out of that well. It was going to take something else to get him out of that well. And God provided a way for him to get out. We'll see in a couple minutes. But one thing I think that I want us to see in here today is we cannot hold on to, we can't hold on to necessarily our past. Like Joseph, he had to be stripped of his robe. He had to be stripped of his position. Really, his dream, it was still alive, but it had to be kind of, he had to be removed away from that dream for him to become usable. From the first point I want to share with you today is if you want to follow God, it takes a two-handed grip. It takes a two-handed grip. If you remember, maybe in your childhood, when you were on the monkey bars, right? I hated the monkey bars when I was a kid. And I remember I, I would be on the monkey bars, and I'd get like on like the third... I'm better at them now, but like the third one, my hands would get sweaty. And one thing, I was guaranteed to fall if this happened. If I decided to let go with one hand... There was no way that I was going to be able to bring myself back up with that one hand to put another one up there. It just wasn't able to happen. It required a two-hand grip. For you to do what it is that God wants you to do in your life and to overcome the obstacles in your life, it is going to take a two-handed grip on the Lord. That's what it's going to take. It's pride, pride may have got you into the situation, but pride will not get you out. Please, if you don't hear anything else today, Please understand that. Let that soak in a little bit. If pride got you into a bad situation, even if you did it yourself, pride will not get you out. It takes an act of humility. Joseph had to be stripped of his robe, stripped of his possessions, stripped of his position for him to be humbled and usable. He couldn't have, he couldn't have one hand on, on his belongings. He couldn't have one hand on the past and dreaming about all the things that God has, has said he was going to do through through him, he had to let go and say, God, if you want this, it's going to take a two-handed grip on you. And it's the same truth for you. God, to follow God, it requires a two-handed grip. That being said, one of the challenges that, that we have as Christians is this. And if you're not a Christian, um, then just bear with us and just know that we're human too. And we're not perfect, Right? We may have perfect clothes on and all that, but we're not perfect if, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning. But if you are, I just wanted you to know, one of, the, one of the pitfalls that people have when they become followers of Christ is they think that they can cling on to the things of the past, and yet they can have one hand on God and one thing on their past. One thing on maybe, maybe a relationship that's not a healthy relationship. Maybe, oh, I know this is going to hurt, it could be even some relationships within your family that you have to kind of let go of for a little while. Because I'm not talking about your direct family, but I'm talking about if you, if you have unbelieving parents, unbelieving brothers or sisters, at some point you have to let go of them. You can't totally rely on them and then say that you're going to follow God. You can't have, it takes a two-handed grip. You can't have one grip on that and then one grip on God. It just doesn't work that way. Some of you need to let go of, of the baggage that comes with, with broken relationships. Some of you need to let go and, and just... Say, you know what, I'm not going to cling to my past anymore. I'm just, I want to step into the future. And maybe letting go of the past for you is, is such things as maybe being, taking a step away from a sinful pattern in your life. 
Maybe it's something you know that you know you're into. Please be open to the Holy Spirit. If, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Be open to this. Maybe it's a sinful pattern in your life. And yet, as soon as I said that, you knew what that sinful pattern was. I want to tell you, pride is what's keeping you in that pattern. But pride will not bring you out. It won't. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes we have to step away from things and remove ourselves from and break away from whether friendships... Maybe some of us, you're clinging too close to your mom and dad. That's the reason why the Bible says that we need to leave and cleave our parents so you can become adults. Right? That's the truth of Scripture. And to illustrate this a little more, I want to I share a short story with you. I usually don't do this, but this is very good. Right? And if you don't think it's very good, just smile anyway. Right? The name of this short story is called The Monkey Trap. And it's a story between an uncle and a nephew. Here's how it starts. And what are we doing today? I asked my uncle. He said, let's catch some monkeys, he said. Monkeys? I asked excitedly. Yes, my uncle said and smiled. If you can catch one, you can take it home as a pet, which I think is a great idea for all of you. Not for me. I've got Bella, my dog. A monkey as a pet? I asked in astonishment. Well, why not, my uncle said. The monkeys here are quite small and very cute. And once you train them, they become very friendly and obedient. An ideal pet. Minus the smell. And so, next morning at the crack of dawn, we sailed from Haddo Wharf in Port Blair into a large motorboat. Soon we were crossing the Duncan Passage, moving due south, the densely forest little Adaman Island to our right, and the sea calm, the, the sea calm like a mirror. I began to feel seasick, so I stood on the forecastle deck, right at the front, right at the front end of seasick, of seasick, enjoying the refreshing sea spray and occasionally tasting my salty lips. I looked in admiration, almost in awe, at, at Uncle, who stood rock steady on the bridge, truly a majestic figure. He signaled to me, and I rushed up to the bridge. VJ, it's time to prepare the monkey traps. Monkey traps? I asked, confused. Tito will show you. You must learn to make them for yourself. Tito, my uncle's odd job man, was sitting on the deck with a, a seaman's knife in hand amidst a deep or amidst a heap of green coconuts. So if you could visualize this, here's a man with a carving knife with a bunch of green coconuts. He punctured a coconut, he put it to his lips and he drank its water, then he began scooping out a small hollow. I took out my seaman's knife and joined him enthusiastically. What boy wouldn't? Gets to carve with the knife. The coconut water tasted sweet, he said. Keep the hole small. The hole, the first hole, on the outside of the coconut, he says, Keep it small, my uncle shouted over my shoulder, and hollow the coconut well. But how will we catch monkeys with this, I asked. You will see in the evening. Now get on with the job. We reached a densely forested island at five in the evening. It was almost dark. The sun sets early in these eastern longitudes, and soon we will set up our monkey traps. Each hollowed coconut was filled with a mixture of boiled rice and jaggery through a small hole. Then the coconut was changed to a stake which was firmly driven into the ground. And then we hid in the bushes in pin-drop silence. Soon there was a rattling sound and they were excited. My uncle switched on, on his torch 
A monkey was struggling, one hand trapped inside the coconut. In an instant, Tito had thrown a gunny bag over the monkey and within minutes he had the monkey nicely secured inside. By the time we lit the campfire on the cool, soft sands of the beach, we had captured three monkeys. My uncle put his arm around my shoulder and said this. Listen closely. He says, VJ, you know why the monkeys get trapped? Because it's greed. See, he picked up a hollowed out coconut and he said, look at this hole. It's just big enough so that the monkey's hand will go in, but it's too small for him to pull it out with a fist full of rice. He says, because his greed won't allow him to take it out, he has become a victim of his own greed. Until he was captured, he was forever a captive of his own greed. And the point of all that is this. The monkey could not see that freedom without rice is more valuable than the capture with it. I think in our lives, sometimes that's exactly what we do. We try and, we try and hold on to things that we ought not to hold on to. That we should have wisdom and discernment and knowing that, you know what, if we want to follow God, it takes a two-handed grip. That you can't have it your way on one end and then try and seek and follow God on the other end. It doesn't work that way. Just as the monkey. And we would say, well, that's foolish. Just let go of it. But how foolish is it for us to hang on to our sin? When God's already forgiven us for it, right? He wants us to have freedom from it, but yet we hang on to it. And in our pride, we stop stop understanding that we have to let go of that to actually be free. If you would indulge me, we're going to go to Matthew 8, verse 18. We're going to go to a teaching of Jesus, and I think he is a much better teacher than I, so we should follow his guidance as well. Matthew 8, 18, through verse 22. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay lay his head. Had to have been confusing a little bit. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The point of this passage is, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want want Christ to really flourish in your life and do a work in you and do a work through you, it's going to take sacrifice. And it's going to take a two-handed grip on him. And it's going to take, if if you put your hands to the plow and you just... You kind of let the Lord do the work and you just kind of, you just hang on with two hands. Awesome things will happen, but it takes a sacrifice that you can't just do it your way. You just can't. And the point, another point that Jesus is saying here, he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, is Jesus is saying this. He says, you have to let go 
of your past. You have to let go of your past. It is the past. You can't, you can't hang on to the past. You have to let go of your past. I think some of us maybe need to do the same thing. That maybe the very thing for you, you would say, you know what? It's not necessarily, I don't feel that it's pride that keeps me in that situation. Maybe it's things of your past and you just need to literally let go of things in your past. You know who suffers from that? You do. You do. So what, your friend burned you five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago? I'll be honest with you, get over it. So what, that you have, that you have people in your family who just clearly do not see eye to eye with you? Get over it. You suffer. They don't. They've already moved on. So what? Let go of your past. Don't hold on to the things that hold you back. Don't take a step back. When, when we follow Christ, we don't take a step back into the past. He doesn't want us to say, okay, let the dead, you know, let, us, let, us, let me go back and bury my father. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. You have to move on from that. That's already happened. That's in the past. Don't look backward and expect that you're going to be moving forward into what he wants for you. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It never has and it never will. You can't live in the past. If you, wanna, if you want to live for the Lord in, in this day, and you want Him to do a work in you and through you in this day, yes, it takes sacrifice. Yes, there are going to be things that you have to give up, but one thing you absolutely can't do is you can't live in the past. You can't live in the past. You have to step into the future that God has for you. And I believe that He does have a future. Now, let's jump back into our scripture. Verse 23, Genesis 37, says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. It was at the moment that Joseph went into the cistern that though it was pride that put him in there and it was jealousy fueled by his brothers that put him in there, the very thing that was going to get him out was not his own ability. It was not his own ability. It wasn't his know-how. It wasn't the fact that he was a talented guy that he had these great visions because he could have had those visions and not left that pit at all. But the very thing that, that God had to do in this situation is he had to remove not only the robe, not only the position, not only did he have to get away from the people of which he was talking to, but the very thing that he had to do and that God had to do in and through him was to take him, remove him of those things, go into the cistern to just to become usable. For you, and I think that everybody, if you're a follower of Christ, we have a, we have a yearning, a desire to be usable. I think that we do. We have this, we have this burning desire to, that we would step into some story bigger than us. Just the, the narrative that God is writing all around this community and every other community. And the community that our missionaries are so involved in up north in North Georgia. I mean, God is at work everywhere. And I think all of us have this, this inkling inside of us that God puts in us just to do a great work bigger than ourselves. But I have to tell you, you have to let go of your past to do it. You can't do life your way and expect to do God's work. You can't hold on to the very things that maybe that are your strong point. Maybe the, the absolute strong point for you has become a point of pride. You can't hold on to your abilities and your past and your position 
just to be able to, to do what it is that you think God wants you to do. For you to be usable, you have to lay those down. And I call that a sacrifice. I call that a sacrifice. Doing things God's way is different than us doing them our way. Continuing on, we're going to finish out our passage. Verse 25, As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they went on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. This, I would say, as we, we take a brief pause here, this is the hand of God intervening in, in the pride and jealousy of the brothers. That's what this is. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver, basically 8 ounces of silver, to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his fathers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then he got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the, blood, or dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to the father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether or not it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph had surely been torn to pieces, he said. Then Jacob tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and mourned for his sons so many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt to, or in Egypt, to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This, I would say yet again, is the hand of God directing the life of young Joseph. Because he was taken out of the cistern, which I would say he had to go in there. Because he had to be removed away from all the things that was holding him back for him to become usable. And then we see the hand of God that now he goes to Potiphar, which is basically the person in charge of Pharaoh's bodyguards, so a high-ranking official, that he's basically sold for eight ounces of silver. Human life is worth so much more than that, isn't it? See, there's, there's a critical point that, that Joseph, and we're not going to get into this today, but I think it's, it's worth noting for us, there's a critical point of Joseph's life right now. He has just been rescued from the cistern, from the well, from the pit. He's just been rescued. He's not going to die right now. All these things that happened with his father, he doesn't know. All he knows is he's being sold like he's, like he's the head of cattle. And now he's off in this distant place, but he has to learn something in this situation. Because the very thing that got him into that situation was pride, but the thing that will, that will get him out is he's being stripped of all things that were prideful to him. So he's being removed of all that pride, and so that would not be the thing that would get him out. And while he was in the pit, he had to take a look at himself, and he had to learn something about the pit. And what he had to learn was, I cannot repeat, basically, the sinful patterns that got me into the pit 
in the first place. What about you this morning? C.S. Lewis says this. This is a wonderful quote. Wonderful quote. Just speaking into people who are hurting. And I think a lot of us are hurting. Whether we did it to ourselves or or we have families that are hurting. And we, we have a country that's hurting. And our economy's hurting. And everything. We're hurting in so many areas. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, God, God whispers to us in our pleasures. In our pleasures, he whispers. He speaks in our consciences. He speaks. He whispers in our pleasures. Speaks in our consciences. But he shouts in our pains. He shouts in our pains. And he says, it is his, it is his megaphone, God's megaphone, to rouse a deaf world. I love that. I love that because... The, the point of that is that no matter where you are today, God is speaking. But the question for you this morning is, are you listening? Are you listening? God requires a two-handed grip. We've covered that. And one thing I just want you to maybe have hope in knowing is this, that God brings to the surface what He has already put in you. God brings to the surface what He has already put in you. If He has put something in you this morning, it's not just because He just wants to leave it in you and that you never get that developed and you'll always feel the, 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 the drain of sin. He has already put miraculous and wonderful things in you and those things will, if you let it, if those things will come to the surface. They will. I believe it. It's true. That He will bring those things to the surface. So the very thing that you would consider in your life, the baggage that you have in your life, whether no matter, I mean, it could be a myriad of different things, a baggage in your life, hurts, pains, hardship, with, whether it's family or whether it's financial or whether it's job situation or just feeling the burden of our country, I want you to know that God has already put, He, he brings to the surface that He's already put in you. If He has put a dream in you, connecting from last week, if He has put a dream in you, He's put it in you and He wants to bring that to the surface. He doesn't want it to die in you. He wants that to come to the surface, but the way that that dream is flourished, not by having one hand on the world and then one hand on Him, it's saying, you know what, world, I have to let go of you, then I have to hold on to God with a two-handed grip, because He brings to the surface what He has already put in you, and the hope of the morning is this. If you have baggage, and we all do, He wants to redeem that too. He wants to redeem that too. Even if it's baggage that you brought upon yourself, if you fall to your knees in humble repentance, He wants to redeem you and your baggage. Ephesians 1.7 says this. This is from the message translation. It says, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, His blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are free people. Let this soak in this morning. We are free people. Free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our own misdeeds. And not just barely free either. Abundantly free. We're not, we didn't just limp into freedom because, oh, now we follow Jesus. We don't just limp into freedom. He says, you know what? And we're, we're not just having this you know, disabled level of freedom. He says, no, 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 you're free. You're free indeed. You are completely free. You're free to be the person that God wants you to be. You are. And if He's put something in you, and I believe that He's put something in the heart's 
of, of every man, woman, child that, that becomes a follower of Christ, that He puts something in you that is bigger than you. But yet, so many times it dies, that dream dies within us because we don't take the necessary steps and we don't have a two-handed grip on God. We don't. But if we want this kind of freedom, not just being barely free. See, a lot of times that's how Christians live. They live barely free. Like they come to church and it's like, oh man, I'm glad I'm at church. I'm barely hanging on. I'm going to sit in the seat. We're going to sing a couple of songs. I'm going to feel better about myself and about my world. And then I go out and on Monday morning you go to work and you live like you're dead. You see, this kind of freedom, this kind of freedom should make us excited when we wake up in the morning and we have to go to work. I know I just said work and excited at the same time. I meant to. This kind of freedom is exciting because that means not only are we, we're not just barely free, that means that you've been invited into the God story that's happening right here in Dublin and in Lawrence County and wherever, wherever it is that you're from and that you have friendships in, that He's invited you into the story that is so much bigger than yourself. But if He's put something in you, He will bring it to the surface. But that's not it. This is on the screen. We're almost done. Have a sigh of relief. You were made for the change that you seek. You were made for it. You're already made for this change. We all desire change, don't we? So many times, we, whether we cling on to our past or we cling on to a sinful pattern or something in our life, it doesn't... I mean, yeah, we, we do those things, but yet inside of us... We want change to happen in our life. And the great news is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you were already made for the change that you seek. Think about that. You were already made. He, it isn't like God just working out a plan. He's like, well, my plan for you is what you're going to do in five minutes. You're going to sit up and you're going to sit here and you're going to listen to me for the next five minutes. No, He has your whole life's plan ahead of you. And you were already made for the change that you seek. The thing that should be down deep inside of us, if we have broken, broken relationships, whether our lives are broken, maybe we feel like we are just, just riddled with baggage. A couple of things we've honed in on a couple, just over the last few minutes is the idea of being free. The freedom that comes with having a relationship with Jesus Christ, but also the ability to have the change in your life that you really want. And I would say this in closing, and I would ask the band to come up. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. For you this morning, I want you to know, with Joseph, pride got him into the situation. Humility and the hand of God got him out. At the end of your days, for you to be free and for you to know that you were made for the change that you seek, just know this, it isn't that you can flaunt it yourself. Because pride won't get you out of the situation. It just gets you into the mess. But it is so you can sit back and realize the grace of God on your life and say, you know what? By the Lord Jesus Christ, I am who I am. And I'm becoming who He wants me to be.
Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we thank you for your love that we've sung about earlier. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for freedom. Oh, amen. Lord, we just thank you for freedom. We thank you that we're not held in bondage, that we're not, we're not barely free. We're abundantly free. That we have so much freedom in our life. And Lord, I pray that you would just help all of us just to, to realize that we were made for the change that we seek. And that should bring such peace into our hearts today. Father, we thank you for desiring to have a relationship with us. Thank you for sending your son on the cross to die for our sins and take the weight and the punishment that comes with it. We thank you that we can step out of our past and into our future and saying, God, you know what? It is by your grace, from 1 Corinthians 15.10, it's by your grace and it's because of you that I am who I am. And it's by your grace and your love that I am going to be who I'm going to be. We just pray it all in our Savior's name. Amen.